Before we get started in this week's episode, I want to remind you to head over to youtube.com slash egofitness or just type in Robert Ego Anthony on his search bar and hit subscribe. I give you a new independent wrestling style vlog every single Monday. And while you're here, hit subscribe on the podcast, Potting with Ego. It helps boost numbers and gets the pod out to a lot of people that might not know it's there. Finally, the sponsor of the With Ego series, it is Good Note Clothing. That is Good Note CO, all one word over on Instagram. Go to them for all of your custom tie-dye clothing needs from hoodies, shirts, shorts, long comfy pants, everything you need when you're traveling on the road or just cuddling up with your loved one on the couch. Myself, Joe, Chico, and a lot of AEW athletes all rock Good Note clothing as well as you should and use code EGO to save yourself 15%. Now, let's get into the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Anthony, you can just go fantastico in some circles, here with the continuation of the Chicago Wrestling uh, Series, Midwest Wrestling Series, with the one and only Ben Jordan. Ben Jordan, how you doing, my friend? Hey, what's going on, man? I'm, I'm excited to be here. I... Chicago wrestling, Midwest wrestling, uh, I have seen and been around a lot of it. So uh, definitely a lot to talk about. So a lot of people from the Midwest that listen to this podcast know who you are. Uh, but to the new audience, um, who are you? H- how would you introduce yourself <laughs> to an audience that may not know who you are? Wow. Um, I, uh, I'm a guy that has uh, hung around the Chicagoland independent wrestling scene um, for the better part of two decades. Um, and uh, for a period of time, I did commentary for IWA Mid-South, uh, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, and I'm probably best known for being Vito Tomaselli's right-hand man for <laughs> two decades. No, this is a lie. You're best uh, I'm known. About, You're I'm be- known for being like the fourth Tomaselli is basically what I was for a long time. You're best known for being the Midwest troll. You love to troll on a lot of people. That, well, okay, okay. You want to get into that? Yes, I'm best known for being a complete fucking asshole. Yeah, yes. I'm a complete asshole, for sure. I've alienated so, many people. Uh, I, have a, I have a notes on where I want to go in this conversation, but before we do that, um, sure. do you remember the, I always ask people this, uh, do you remember the first time we met? It's a hard question. Oh, it is. It might be MSPW. Okay. At a at a roller rink. Yes. Possibly. So so that might have been the first time we. The... That might have been the first time we crossed paths. The first time I remember meeting you was Cabana got myself and Tony Scarpone booked for IW Mid South in Midlothian, and. Okay. He wanted us to do a run-in because we were doing a tag team. He he wanted us to do this run-in, uh, I believe, on Eric Priest. Who was he tagging with back then? Um, I can't remember. Maybe no, he wasn't tagging with Trick Davis, was he? Uh, it was. I know Trick Davis was in the ring. Uh, I believe Eric Priest was okay. in the ring. It was this big thing. Wanted us to do a run-in, and 
Tony had this idea that me and him, because we were the Midwest Mafia, we should be wearing dress clothes. And I'm not a dress clothes type of guy. So I was wearing like these dress mm -hmm. shoes. And I go to stomp someone on the outside and I slip. And you attacked me on the commentary. And you're just like, he slipped, he slipped. Like, who are these big guys, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I slipped, we're no longer big guys. We're these fucking goofs. And I remember going, fuck that Ben Jordan. Fuck that Ben Jordan all the hell. <laughs> I, in, in the I, best I don't blame you one bit. I was so mad. And, and I believe that footage only lives somewhere in my basement. I have a DVD of that. Uh, but I'm so glad that it's not on Botchamania or anywhere like that because then I could probably edit it in if I find it. But that was my first interaction with you. And, uh, and then later on, we talked more when um, you were like really connected to the Tomasellis, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, but that was my first memory of you. So um, maybe you, we met at a roller ring so or something I, like that. I wanna, yeah. Yeah, I, maybe, maybe possibly. All right, so we're back. We Snafu. had a quick audio uh, bullshit issue. Uh, as everyone knows, I I try to do things in person as much, but uh, Ben lives in Texas. So uh, that was roughly okay. my first memory of meeting you, and then you were slowly connected to Vito after that. But before we get into like all of that mid-2000s right. IWA bullshit run, I want to talk to you about ChicagoWrestling.com. Okay. Uh, yeah. And and uh, the owner of ChicagoWrestling.com, he listens to the podcast. Lagatola. Al, I messed up his last name. Legatola. Legatola. La Al Legatola. Him and I talk. We do have, um, mm -hmm. it's kind of like me and you, but we've been trying to do this podcast, me and you, for a while. Al and myself are still trying to find dates. Such I'm going to go to his house, and uh, and he came to AEW and all this kind of stuff. We're trying to film. Al Legatola was the owner of ChicagoWrestling.com, and he was basically the like Meltzer yes. of the Midwest, right? That he had that vision. Where when he starts ChicagoWrestling.com, are you looking at it as an independent wrestling fan and decide you want to jump into this? How did you get in? How did you get involved in that website? Yeah, funny enough, it started out in the Northwest Herald newsroom. Uh, Al and I wrote a. Yeah, Al, I worked at the. I worked in the sports department um, when I was a senior in high school. I started working at the newspaper, uh, and I worked in the sports department. I covered high school sporting events. I also did some page design stuff, and so I would work in the office. And Al was also a page designer, and so we would work nights together all the time, um, many like three or four nights a week. We would work together. Uh, and him and I were both big wrestling fans, and at the time, this is ninety seven, ninety eight. Wrestling is still super hot, right? And like, uh, you know. WCW and WWF, Monday Night Wars are still hot, and Monday is still a thing, right? So we all, all on Fridays, there was an entertainment section of the Northwest Herald, and they approached Al and I, knowing that we were wrestling fans, and said, hey, would you guys like to write a weekly wrestling column for the Northwest Herald? And we, would, we, we only covered the, the, the stuff on television. That's all we knew was ECW, WCW, and WWE. That's it. That's all we knew. That's all we wrote about. Uh, and we covered, we did a, I, I did a, a top 50 wrestlers of all time, and they did a huge layout in the paper. Like, we covered the shit out of wrestling in the newspaper. Then Al and I said, well, let's check out what independent wrestling was. We'd never heard it, we'd never seen a show, but we'd known, we'd heard of Windy City Wrestling, right? So, Windy City had had. 
dude, if you're from Chicago or the if you're from our area, you heard of Windy City. If you looked for wrestling outside Even of WWE, the magazines, right? If you went, if you got a Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Windy City Wrestling yeah. appeared, so it was a big deal. So it, they were at least a name, and like, okay, we know who they are, right? So. Al and I went to uh, a Windy City wrestling show. I don't remember. I want to say it was Hersey High School. I'm almost positive it was Hersey High School. And we were not impressed for like 75% of the show, right? And then I'll never forget this. Vic Capri and Jason Rain came on. And him and I looked at each other in in the middle of this match and went, whoa. This is if this is what independent wrestling is, we're interested in this. So Vic Capri and Jason Rain are totally the 100% reason that Al and I got into independent wrestling. And at that point, we started reaching into like and getting to know what was independent wrestling in the Chicagoland area. Fast forward just a little bit. Now we decide, all right, we're going to cover so the Chicagoland independent wrestling scene like a newspaper does it because we had the newspaper background. He, he owned it. He, at, he, at that time, I'm a fresh out of high school kid. I had no money. So he was the money guy. He owned it. He ever, but I'll be honest with you, we were trying to come up with a name, and I, I, I distinctly remember this. We were in the, in the newsroom one night, and I'm like, what if we just call it ChicagoWrestling.com? He's like, is it that simple? I'm like, I think it's that simple. You just call it ChicagoWrestling.com. And so we, we registered. We went to GoDaddy or whatever the fuck it was. He went to it, registered ChicagoWrestling.com, and away we went. And he was more of the reporter, uh, and I was more of the columnist. So uh, you know, in, in terms of a newspaper, if you look at it, like I was Jay Mariotti while he was the, the guy that was covering the bulls. Uh, you know, and I had the opinions while he had the facts. Uh, and then we just dove into it like that, and then he just really embraced it. He is 99.9% of the success of that is attributed to him. I take very little credit or any credit at all for it. I helped contribute and and help moderate the message board and and I was more focused on doing riling up people on the message board and shit like that, but that's how how it all started. Vic Capri and Jason Rain in a random singles match on a Windy City show lit our fire and then it became the most important thing for a period of time in Chicagoland wrestling. It was the most important deal to be interviewed by Al and be and appear in his rankings was an important fucking deal. And there's no doubt about it. He's an important piece. So let me so let me let me ask you this. You're doing the WWE ECW WCW reviews for the paper. Okay? Then you check out Windy City. Do you know of Dave Meltzer's Observer at this point? Are you guys oblivious? Oblivious. I, I would say oblivious because we're we barely like we're barely on the internet at this point knowing about what's going on backstage. We're approaching it from a almost a total mark standpoint, fan standpoint of watching professional wrestling and our total mark fandom opinion. I totally yeah. so so you, you you come up with this website idea. Do you remember what the introduction was once you registered the name what was your first column did you, or what was even your first interview what did you guys decide uh, well, to launch this this is what we needed right yeah i don't i don't remember the details as far as that go al would probably remember that much better than i would because i i've I, i've smoked a lot of weed along the way so i don't remember the details that like like that but i do remember like we started looking into what independent wrestling was in the in the area right and what we found was right up the road from the Northwest Herald offices, there was a training school run by a couple of guys by the name of Randy Ritchie, Rockin' Randy, and Eric Freedom. Oh, yeah. 
and they had a training school in Wakanda, uh, Illinois. Uh, I believe it was Wakanda. Uh, it was right up the street from us, right? And so I don't remember how the connection was made, whether uh, at, at some point Johnny Armani, Mike Webb is involved in this too and like smartens up Al to what's going on in the Indies because he lived in the area and read the column and then reached out to Al and was like, hey, you should come see a Windy City show. I'm almost positive that that's how that connection was made. Uh, and so... Uh, we are we don't have any idea about what Meltzer is or any of that stuff, and we're just we're just looking at it. And so our I, I went to the school uh, to interview Randy and Eric Freedom about the you know having a training school, and we were going to advertise it for them. And I kind of they kind of befriended me a little bit and kind of brought me into the business. And I was hanging out with them. I remember Brandon Blaze was there. He was just a, a fresh green rookie at the time, but he was a really cool dude. Uh, he was hanging out there. Um, God, who else? Buzz Saw or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there was a, there was a few other guys. Um, um, Long Matt Longtime was always, was hanging around every once in a while too. He was a, yeah. he was a kind of the pet project. Randy Casey Stater. James was Casey James there at that time. I think possibly as well too. Yeah. So uh, and I started hanging out with those guys and going to shows and like Randy would like. You know, I, he sent me to pick up Haku at the airport one time, and I drove Haku to the to a show in Kenosha, and so I I kind of ingrained myself through those guys, and Al kind of stayed on the periphery, uh, and just kind of he never really he stayed like a reporter, and he never really got involved. He always st stayed on the outskirts and kind of made him made sure he was unbiased and could be looked at in an unbiased way. Where I I just kind of dove in, and I was like I I don't I don't care. It kind of blows my mind they welcomed you so easily because back then, those early 2000s, those veterans, Rockin' Randy, um, Sonny Rogers, you know, um, the quote-unquote professionals. I'm not going to put LWF into that category because they were welcoming everyone. Right. I'm pretty I'm pretty surprised those old-school guys welcomed you without some type of um, hazing or, or making you pay quote-unquote dues. You know what I'm saying? I had something to offer them. I had advertisement oh, the press. in the newspaper, right? You know what? You're right. That's exactly what it was, and I have no doubt about that. That's why they allowed me in because they felt like, well, he'll 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 pump, he'll pump us up, he'll promote our stuff. It's free advertising for us, and they were right. They, you know, they they got press out of it, and they got you know. So it was a it was mutually beneficial. They were getting from stuff stuff for me, and I was getting this awesome experience of getting you know Wendy's bought for me by Haku. So. <laughs> So, so you guys start ChicagoWrestling.com, uh, mm -hmm. and when I started training at PCW, that's when I heard of ChicagoWrestling.com, right? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know of it as a fan, um, and we found it because the trainers at our school were talk about it. They would mm -hmm. say, hey, did you see this on whatever? This is how we're going to – did you see what this person said about, about us on the message board? And the internet was still new then, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of kids and people listening to this are like, oh, man. But people do remember that when the internet was very, very new. And I feel a lot of the old timers didn't see the power into it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people that had a goal of breaking out knew that this was something and they could get your voices heard. Because like you said, if Al interviewed you for ChicagoWrestling.com, a lot of people saw your story. Um, when I got interviewed by Al, I remember having uh, promoters reach out to me, uh, uh, Repsol, uh, and LaSalle reached out to me after that. He's like, hey, do you want to come in? I'm starting this company. All because he saw my interview with Al. Crazy. So it had power back in the day. And when you said these rankings, 
those rankings had power. And mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think it had power so much with the people showing up to the shows. It was more of the boys, uh, uh, their own little like, oh, fuck him. Why is he number one and I'm number three? I think, honestly, ChicagoWrestling.com. It was, it was a shit was, shit. It was yeah, a shit it was, show. Uh, ChicagoWrestling.com <laughs> was more popular, way more popular with the boys and the people inside the business. Oh, yeah. Than, there, than it was with fans. There there wasn't a whole lot of fan interaction. There were people posing as fans, soccer, soccer yep. accounts and shit like that. But I guarantee yep. you 75 to 90% of the people interacting on ChicagoWrestling.com were guys in the business. That's where people, oh, the guys 100%. in the business, do, talked shit about each other through interviews with Al uh, you know, and, yep. and things of that nature. 100%. There wasn't a whole lot of fans hanging out at ChicagoWrestling.com this was before troll and burner accounts like people had fake accounts on chicago wrestling.com oh, message yeah. board the message board was where it was at it was awesome oh, yes. for everyone yep. for everyone listen listening to this in the east coast uh and and you remember this back in the day the doi czwfans.com those message boards were legendary legendary Death Valley Driver, but this was Chicago's one, yes, right? Yep. And, and it was the dirt on Chicago and the gossip on Chicago. And it was like, it, it wasn't as worldwide, ChicagoWrestling.com's message board, as the DOI, Death Valley, uh, uh, Death Valley Driver, CCW fans or anything like that. But it was fucking big out here, man. And people Absolutely. took that shit seriously. It was 100%. awesome. You know, you mentioned, you know, your interview helping you out and getting bookings. I, I, I have to tell this story because Al is probably too humble to tell this story, but CM Punk owes a lot to Al oh, yeah. and the interview that he did with him and where that got him and the, 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 how it got his name out. It was integral, integral for him and Cabana to get their name out on the East Coast through that interview with Al, it was a it was a huge deal because Punk didn't do interviews at that time really, and Al really got him to open up, uh, and it was it was a huge deal for him, and it got it got Phil bookings no doubt. So, so everyone has to realize these were text interviews. So when you read this, this isn't a podcast. It right. isn't video. This was literally Al. It says Al on the thing. You're reading a book. Yep. So so when you say these interviews happen, like me and you are doing an interview, it isn't this easy. You had to take time, sit down, and read something. And it was yep. it just said punk, and here's what punk said. Here's Al. This is his question. Here's what punk said. So the power of again, we're dating ourselves, you're reading this person's thought. You yep. know what I'm saying? So And you're inter- so, you're taking um, in a tone, right? You're you're inferring yeah. tones and shit. Yep. Yeah, so that that's where a lot of uh, quote unquote drama comes from from the boys back then. Like, what did he mean when you said this? What did you mean? <laughs> whatever, whatever. Uh, talk to me about that punk interview. What did they? What do you remember from it? What do you What do you remember that really helped him out? And and why does well, he owe it to Al? No, I, I, just like I said, I think I think it, it it he didn't have a whole lot of those right, and there there wasn't a whole lot of like he was just starting to make his name. Him and Cabana had just started doing IWA Mid South shows. Like they, it would, the, it's part of the interview was like they had just started breaking out of the the Midwest and and working for Carmine, and they were about to start working for Ian a little bit more, and they were starting to do the the whole Evansville Louisville thing for Ian. And I, I, from what I understand, that interview got such such press, if you will, it went 
for all intents and purposes, viral when viral wasn't a thing. Uh, and on some level, and East Coast promoters saw the interview, saw that he was working for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. Working for Ian was also a big part of getting a lot of those bookings. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to understate that. But the whole conglomerate, there was this buzz around CM Punk, right? And, and, and he, to his credit, knew how to take that energy and use it for his own self-promotion, and, and he used it to, to get himself further, and that's what that guy does, or did. Yeah, yeah and going back to ChicagoWrestling.com, just on how powerful it was and how weird the internet was back then, one of my, because you brought up Punk and Cabana, one of the things I remember on there was when the reverse her Karana was like kind of first unleashed, mm -hmm. and on ChicagoWrestling.com, they had still frames of uh, Brandon Bishop giving it to Colt Cabana. This is where he started. This is where he went. And this is where he landed. And, and it was a place where not only did you promote shows, not only did you have burner accounts and talk shit, mm -hmm. not only did you might have had Joey Eastman's password and <laughs> logged in as Joey Eastman, and if Joey Eastman is listening to this right now, I still know your password to ChicagoProWrestling.com because you still use the same password for that login, and I may have used your login to spy on those DMs that you were sending to Sonny Rogers Nothing oh, malicious, right. but I'm just saying. So you might, we might have used the website as a uh, as as a whatever, but it was such a a a window to not only what's going on in Wisconsin, in Indiana, with weirdo Mikey Migo at the time. <laughs> yes. uh, you know what I mean? Or 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 who's talking shit about this? Who's talking shit about this? It helped you. Uh, as a wrestler, further your career by uploading your content, by yep. doing these these fucking interviews. As a promoter, it helped you draw people to your show uh, because um, – good night, baby. So uh, as my daughter goes to bed, uh, yeah. as uh, I tell you the strength of it, right, here's, here's a weird thing about it. When I started training at PCW and I found out about ChicagoProWrestling.com, I was still backyard wrestling. And back then – that was a huge taboo. We kind of kept it secret. But PCW made us wait months and months and months for us to have a show. So we decided we were going to have one last backyard show. And we were going to promote it on ChicagoWrestling.com. And <laughs> once people... No, listen, listen. This is crazy. People showed up that weren't our friends and family. And I was like, oh, no. This actually worked. Then the cops showed up. And the cops showed up. Because the other promoters saw we were promoting a backyard show, right? And I don't want to say it was Randy, but it might have been Randy. <laughs> he, they sent a cop to uh, a Caleb Pierce's backyard and shut us down. <laughs> That's so, amazing. So that, that was, is totally not out of the realm of the possibility for Randy to do that either. That's totally within character for him, to oh, be, especially back in the day. I heard it was him. But... Uh, we ended up moving this show to a golf course. That's we, it was very quick, very very quick. We we moved it real quick to a golf course. That's awesome, right? So uh, that was the power of ChicagoWrestling.com. <laughs> People showed up when you promoted it, right? Now when you promote things on Twitter, yeah, for sure. Now when you promote things on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, maybe you'll get some fans through that internet, you know, buzz in the area. But back then, if you promoted it on Chicago Wrestling and you were local, they showed up. 
people showed up from it. It was an amazing yeah, website. I, I say man. there were there were fans there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, there yeah, were yeah. fans there. I you know th- there were a lot of workers there, but there were a lot of fans there too. No, no doubt. Yeah. So, what? Um, you know what? No, one more memory. ChicagoWrestling.com. Larry Sternshine. Okay. I I say this to Larry all the time. La- yeah. Larry Sternshine did a review because people uh, you guys had writers right um, and people that would go to shows yep. once Chicago wrestling got big from in my memory it was you Larry Sternshine Tony Figueroa Figueroa am I saying that right um, yeah oh god there's a name I didn't yeah, yeah. said it but yeah I don't. I- yeah, but uh, but random guys. There was a couple, right? There was random people. And yeah, but Sternshine was one of the first for sure. Yeah, Sternshine came to a, a show that was my like fourth match ever, and him and I talk about this, so it's not talking about it at school. And he did the and what what happened was when you guys would come to the shows and write reviews on them, all of us would read those reviews, and. We we would we would just rag on each other if you gave someone a bad match or we had a better match or whatever, and mm-hmm. and at this time I am nineteen or twenty years old, I am six foot three, six foot four on a good day, and one hundred and fifty five pounds. Okay, and I didn't know what a tanning bed was at this yeah. time, so Larry's Larry's <laughs> review on my match was. Igadisco Fantastico is so skinny and pale, I could see through his skin and see his organs. And that, <laughs> that hurt me so bad. It, 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 it's, <laughs> dude, it, 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 it's, that, it's that meme that you see nowadays, like, I took that personal, and ever since then, yeah. I couldn't get out of the gym, right, and 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 try to be as tan as possible. And, <laughs> there you go. And I, and I, hey, it was motivation, bro. Though. I told I told Larry, I go when I read that, I was like, "Fuck you, asshole!" And then look what you did to me. <laughs> look what you did to me, you son of a I bitch. I can imagine. A, <laughs> oh. I can imagine a lot of dudes th- thought that about me because I was brutal, man. Like oh. the, the the troll. You, I was brutal on people, man. I was brutally honest. Uh, and, and just on Sternshine, man, like. Him and I have always had a weird thing. Like I always liked Larry, but I always felt like he didn't like me. Uh, and I, I have this. This is like a running theme with me and people in the wrestling business that I sure. encounter. Is that like I think we're cool, and I really like that person, but like they don't seem to really think I'm all that cool, which is it's just fine. But like I don't know whatever it was. I don't know if I said something to Larry or something happened along the way. But him, he's always been like weird with me, like for years now. Um, I don't know what it is, but I like that dude. Uh, I, I we're gonna get into I this. Know. I think I know why. So, uh, so Chicago wrestling's rocking and rolling. Okay, what killed it in your opinion? Because this is something I want to ask Al. But where where did it go wrong? Because it's gone now. ChicagoWrestling.com isn't around yeah. anymore. Dave Prezak tried to buy the IP, the uh, the web address, and whoever owns it, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to Prezak about this. Prezak and I were talking about it. He tried to buy ChicagoWrestling.com, and the guy that owns it said 150 grand. And Prezak was like, "All right, shut up." Yeah, 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 yeah. Who? I wonder who this guy is that owns it. I, I w- don't know. Wow, it ain't worth that. No, no, no. I know that. I, here's what. Here's what I think. I think. I think time and like technology kind of like message boards kind of faded out. Like, and also like Al had a kid. And like that, you know, he he started going to shows less because they had a, a baby, and you know, I, I just think life started to happen a little bit more, and it just become it became less important 
for him especially. And so his reporting side, I think, and, and I may be speaking out of turn, but this is how I remember it. It just, life started happening and he started going in a different direction, not doing as much. And I was just doing the message board shit more and, you know, going to shows a little bit. And I started getting into the business a little bit more. And, and then it just, it just kind of faded away. I don't, I don't know that there is any like one thing that was like, oh, that was the end of it. I don't, it just was kind of a gradual thing where, Life moved on, and technology moved on, and social media became a thing. MySpace then became a thing, and then MySpace became Facebook, and you know, Facebook basically replaced ChicagoWrestling.com. So um, I agree with that because once MySpace showed up in in my life, uh, everything kind of went there, right? It, it was more man, the yep. amount of bookings that I got through MySpace is insane insane the amount of bookings i got through myspace um but man i agree with that so here's where we start telling your history because you have a you have a history because of you're the voice of a lot of that early iwa mid-south stuff how did you transition from reporter in the newsroom to columnist and Mm -hmm. contributor to chicagowrestling.com to now you're kind of booking IW Mid-South, Dean Rotten. <laughs> Weirdly enough, ki- kind of, sort of, yeah. So there's, there's kind of a, a long winding road, but I'll try to make it as concise as possible. Yeah. So while I'm doing the newspaper thing, I also want to get into radio and broadcasting. So I go to broadcasting school at the Illinois Center for Broadcasting. And out of that, I end up actually getting a job at um, 670 The Score, the, the sports talk station in, in Chicago, right? Get an internship on the morning show. Man, who they had a wrestling show on there. They had, a, they had a wrestling show on, on there. With him. I was I, I created it with him. Jonathan Hood. Yeah, I was there when he created. It. He w- he was he was the guy I was an intern under, and so he and I had a relationship. We established our like friendship over wrestling. And so when he started the show, I hosted co-hosted a couple of shows with him on that. I would do the news reports on that show with him. So yeah, I was I was involved in that in that part of it too. So that's where I got into the into the broadcast part of it. I learned how to, you know, be a broadcaster, right? Like, you, if you, I've been doing podcasts a long time, too, and everybody always says, it sounds like you have a voice for radio, you know? Yeah, it's cause I, I, I trained in it, and I, I learned how to use my, boi- my voice inflection and, and all those things. So I trained to be uh, in broadcasting, and I was working at 670 The Score, uh, and, and I was the producer of the morning show while also, like, partying at LWF all night uh, and those two things just kind of clashed together and I ended up getting fired from the radio station but I had this broadcasting background well Al and Al hooked me up we were watching a pay-per-view at his house one night and Vito came over to his house because they had met through the paper uh, and and local wrestling right because he was he was a McHen- he lived in McHenry which was local and he was a wrestler wrestling at PCW at the time so him and Al had connected and then there's a WWE pay per view and I go over to his house and I meet Vito for the first time at Al's house watching a WWE pay per view oddly enough he and I are the same age but we went to two different high schools in the same town and so we never crossed paths until this moment. Instantly, Vito and I become friends. And from that moment pretty much on, he and I were, were really close friends. And I started traveling with him and Sal and Brandon. And so I was already going to shows, and it was there just hanging out at IWA shows. And so when Prazak leaves, 
and goes to do his thing with Shimmer and, 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 leaves, and leaves Ian. He's left with a void of someone to do, do commentary. And I'm at all those shows anyway because the, the Tomasellis are booked on all those shows at that time. I'm there with them. Ian didn't have to pay me. Vito says, hey, Ben will do it. He'll do it for free because I was going to be there anyway. I, I didn't ask for any money. I knew I wasn't going to get paid. But I said, I'll, I'll do it. And it wasn't that chance for me to do, do some broadcasting. And that, I, that's how I got my foot in the door with Ian. I think in that time as well, IW Mid-South is becoming the hottest it's ever been. You think so? Because it, fe- it felt like it was on the downside at that point. It peaked. in my. I, I think it had peaked. What year are you thinking? This is, what, 04? Mid-low? Yeah. 03, 04, that, that, that time there. Yeah, you're right, because uh, Highland's done at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, once Dave leaves, that's the Dave is the peak. After Dave, it's downhill. And, and, and it sucks because... I'm the guy after Dave, right? And so in broadcasting, in sports broadcasting, there's this thing, right? You never want to be the guy that follows the guy. You don't want to be the guy that follows a legend. Because you'll never be accepted by the crowd because you're not him. And no matter how good you are, you're not the guy they love. And so I was in that unenviable spot of being the guy after Dave. Everybody loves Dave Prezak. There's nobody that doesn't love Dave Prezak's commentary. I'm the guy that's got to follow him, and I'm kind of an asshole to begin with. So, it, and I'd said asshole things, as you pointed out at the beginning of this fucking podcast. And so, you know, I, I wasn't treated the same way as Dave. I didn't have the same respect that Dave had. Um, and it was because I was the guy after Dave. If there had been someone in between me and Dave, I might have had a better shot at, at having people's respect and and. and having more success and being recognized for the work that I did in IWA. But I am an afterthought because I'm the guy that followed Dave. Why did Dave leave? Do we know this? I, from what I, I don't know the inner workings, but I believe it was because he had success with Shimmer. Uh, and, and Shimmer, you know, he, he had smartly used Ian's money to test his idea. And his idea was a hit with Volcano Girls. I'll never shit talk Dave because... Dave, that is genius. He got Ian to, to fund his own idea, make sure it worked. Once Volcano Girls worked, Dave went, I don't need Ian anymore. I know all these girls. I can book them. I'll do it better, and I'll make money at it. And he did. Because Dave, Dave was the voice for women's wrestling in IW Mid-South. 100%. He had that vision. Yes. And you're right. I never thought of that, that he that he used IWA as a uh, test subject to run Shimmer. Volcano wow. Girls is 100% a test for yeah. if, if if Volcano Girls isn't a success, Shimmer may not exist because Dave goes, well, I don't maybe maybe I, maybe I just hang out here and do my thing. Dude, it's wild. Yeah. So, do you do you see a change in Ian as as business is going down for him, or is he think is he delusional at that point? Here's what I saw. I saw Ian is one of the most genius guys when it comes to booking professional wrestling and having an eye for talent. No doubt one of the smartest people when it comes to those two things in my entire life I've ever been around. However, he is also simultaneously the worst businessman I've ever been around in my life. He has absolutely no idea how to run a business, how to make it profitable, what to do. Like he, he always spends money he doesn't have, always fails to come through on promises that he, that he promises. And so like he, he had gotten away with that for a long time because there was a cachet that he carried Right. And but once once punk 
and Cabana move on, once Hero is no longer a staple there, once all those guys move on, that, that, that crop of really good workers, uh, the guys that were at Ted Petty 04 in Highland, that whole, that whole roster of guys, those guys are all moved on to Ring of Honor at that point, right? And so what's left is guys trying to be the next crop of those guys. Uh, Delirious, Matt Seidel, Vito, Sal, those guys, those guys were trying to be the next crop of guys that would go, that would use IWA Mid-South as the launching pad to get them East Coast bookings, to get them tell, you know, onto television, get them WWE and, and, and other kinds of contracts. Uh, th so that's where IWA is at that, at that point. And, you know, there were some some ups and downs. He's he also partnered with Bill Barons in the NWA for a while there, and so that that's where Vito and them ultimately. Got. Or was that Ed Schumann? I think it was Ed Schumann. Was it Bill Barons or Ed, Ed Schumann? Ed Schumann first, but then Bill Barons because they started working with Wildside. That's how Tank got in. That's how uh, that's how Vito and Sal ultimately got because they were working for Barons. They had moved to Atlanta and were working for Barons regularly. And so, so Ian is a giant part of Midwest wrestling history, but here's the problem with Ian. With, here's the problem with Ian. I can't podcast with Ian because for the fact I don't ever think he'll tell me the truth, right? He'll he'll never admit his own faults. And, and I think that's what you need to do when you're the owner of arguably one of the biggest independent companies out there putting on these super matches and these super shows and then all of a sudden you go away. And then it's bad business practice. You you always hear about Ian Rotten paying lousy pay, eight hour shows. It's not really eight hour shows, but long ass Highland shows, um, making so much money at on Smart Mark Video, and helping guys really um, break out. And a lot of guys owe their career to Absolutely. Ian, but his legacy is tarnished for what he does behind the scenes. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? And, and, I, and I feel telling the Ian story, unfortunately, you have to hear it from other people like yeah, you. kind of. Right? When I got fired uh, from developmental and Mike Robles got me hooked up with Ian, IWA wasn't what it was, but it still got me to CZW. Right? That was my pathway to CZW because he brought in DJ Hyde, who had Zandig's ear, and then... DJ talked to Zandig for me and got me into CCW. So there was still a pathway, but that pathway wasn't as strong when it was Styles, Punk, Hero, uh, all those insane uh, Indiana shows and things like that. Um, well, I'll say this: Ian, you, you can get you. We, yeah, you can get some honesty out of Ian. Vito and I have done a number of interviews with Ian over the years. There's one that's still out there on YouTube, I believe. It's when we did it in the rotation. It's the most honest interview, and that's probably. The one of the last totally honest interviews Ian has ever done because he was brutally honest. That's where he revealed that he was having an affair with Mickey. Oh no! Um, and, oh, if you haven't seen it yet, in the rotation, it's still out there. Plug I don't know that if now. Taking it down or not? It's in the rotation. Ian Rotten. We edited the whole. Video. It's like a twenty-minute video where we sat down with him like before an IWA show one time. I, I was sitting on the bleachers, and he opened up to us in a way that like. That's the thing that Vito and I were very good at when we were talking with people and interviewing people is that we got them to open up and make them feel like they weren't being recorded and go search it out. I don't know if Vito has taken it down yet or not, but it should be out there. It's got thousands of views. But Ian Rotten in the rotation, 
he, dude, it's brutal, and he's very honest. So, yeah, you just got to get him at the right time. I think maybe you, I don't know if he would be comfortable enough with you to admit his shortcomings, but in the right setting with the right people, you could get him to admit. He un, he knows. He's not he's not an idiot. He knows he's a bad businessman. He can't he can't possibly not know that. He he knows the mistakes he's made. He he knows that he he, he tried his best, but he is not a businessman. He's a, a professional wrestler. He's a booker. If he had someone that would just fund all his shit and run the business, Fannin obviously couldn't do it. He was obviously hoping Fannin could do it, but Fannin wasn't that guy. If he'd have had a guy that could just run the business and then let him book, IWA Mid-South would be Ring of Honor. It would, it, 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 his library would be worth way more than it is now. I mean, he, the path could have been very much different for him. But he's just a terrible, terrible, terrible businessman. Terrible with money. If you think about the stuff that they put out, Necro versus Joe. Yeah. One of the best matches. The best match I've ever seen live. I was there. And it was the most incredible wow. thing I've ever seen live. Necro versus Joe still talked about to this day. TPI 04. Yep. Almost anything from Highland, Indiana. Yep. You're, All the Highland shows are amazing. The punk. The punk. Stacked with guys that are still on TV today. The punk and hero feud. It's it's just so much good stuff, and and you'll see clips just pop up randomly from di- weird. Uh, and even after Punk and Cabana left, you got you got uh, Matt Seidel, you got uh, Delirious, where Eric Cannon started showing up. Just like yeah, random. Well, and also what happened was there was a resurgence in deathmatch wrestling too, because uh-huh. deathmatches had went away for a minute because they had focused more on the the spectacular wrestling and rightfully so because it was hot and they had a bunch of really good guys to put on the shows and Ian was able to book some incredible talent. So deathmatches kind of took a back seat for a minute, and so when that crop went away, some of the deathmatch legends from the Louisville days and and and, and that started coming back. The Mean Mitches and the Roland Hards and the Corporal Robinsons and the Bull Paynes, they started coming back and Ian started leaning into the deathmatch stuff and that led to guys like Deranged and Brain Damage and, and Toby and Necro. Uh, Necro coming back and re- the resurgence of Necro Butcher is 100% an Ian Rotten thing. 100%. I- Necro Butcher d- doesn't get the respect and doesn't get the run and isn't still going to Japan as he is right now as we're recording this. If Ian Rotten doesn't bring him back and book him as more than just a deathmatch wrestler. And Ian started creating the hybrid of deathmatch guys crossing over with the guys that could wrestle and created a whole new like hybrid style of wrestling that caught a little bit of fire for him. And that kind of reignited IWA Mid-South after that, that all the, the crop of like super wrestlers, for lack of a better term, those guys moved on. Deathmatches and then the crossover, the hybrid stuff really started to, to, to pick up and the death the king of the death matches that i was a part of are fucking legendary man those things are awesome the the plainfield indiana death match ter- shows are fucking awesome uh you know and 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 that's that's what i remember is that it, it when the style of iwa definitely changed in, in the era that i was there although there was still that stuff on the undercard still other stuff and you know, Ricochet and t- Chuck Taylor showing up out of nowhere and stuff like that. I was there the first night they debuted. Like you said, there's so many people on TV right now that started at IWA Mid-South or got noticed through IWA Mid-South. Yep. And they owe a lot to it, right? Um, eventually, your time has to come, and you and Vito yes. are going to start your own thing. What's your there fallout no with fallout. you? That's just it. Like, it was time to go. We, were, we, we had started Elite Pro. And our energy was going to focus on that. 
Uh, and uh, I had also started, you know, ha in the car business, which is what I'm doing still here 17 years later. Uh, I had started, uh, I'd found a job in the car business, so I didn't have as much time to travel on the weekends. Uh, and so I just it was time for me to move on. It was it was just time for um, life again happened and it was time to move on to to the elite pro thing. And, you know, that that was awesome because we were able to learn from Ian how to book. And then we also got an opportunity from him booking Mike Quackenbush. I was able to establish a, a pretty awesome relationship for a period of time with Quack where I was having phone conversations with him about booking and you know bouncing ideas off of him and him you know you know giving me his his expertise and opinions on things and you know we we took Chikara and said we can make a, a like a Midwest kind of version of Chikara if we you know and that was kind of our vision is to do do that in in, in, in the vein of that and Obviously, we met a lot of guys through working Ian's shows that we would end up booking on our shows. But also, it allowed Sal and Vito wanted to open up their train their own training school and start training guys. And that uh, doing the Elite Pro thing allowed us to do that as well because we were able to to basically create our own stars in, in a little bit of an effect by using students with some of the guys that we had met, and not having to have. A, a huge budget shows because we knew from working with Ian that it isn't sustainable to do a bunch of guys that you have to pay hundreds of dollars plus trans to. You can't, it, you, it's very hard to make your money back on that. So we knew we had to have trainees and things. So it was just an opportunity for us to move on from this thing. Uh, Mike Nolan and, and Jay Jensen came to a, uh, an IWA show and got started marking out and they wanted to start their own thing and so they brought us on to book and we, we had no financial you know uh stake in it that was wasn't asking nothing ask. at you all had no they money brought in us that. on to book we said we'd do it for free we just wanted to do it just give us the book and they gave us the book entirely and Vito and I would spend hours I was living in the city at the time and he was living in the suburbs but there was a train that would go right literally to a, almost his backyard of his apartment and I would get on the train on the weekends, and I would I would take the train down, get off the train, walk across the literally one lot, be at his part, be at his apartment, and him and I would do for shit 24 hours plus, just booking months of elite pro shows and going over different scenarios, and because we wanted everything to have meaning. All the mistakes that Ian had made, we didn't we 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 actively didn't want to make those mistakes. So we we crafted things, and it was it was a cool time, man. I I wish could have worked out better because things were working things were working and then things that were out of Vito and I's control between Nolan and Jensen went that that relationship went south and it affected the business but we never lost money you know we had a business plan we were doing things the right way we were booking guys that nobody else John Moxley I was just gonna say I, John I, Moxley I, I, okay here we'll, we'll, we'll go into it right now because it's worth it because we're booking, right? We're, we're, we're about to get started, and we're looking for guys that no one in Chicago was using, but we think have talent. And so we go to an IPW show in Indianapolis because we know Billy Rock. We love Billy Rock. And so Billy Rock is on the show. Ricochet is on the show. We know those guys. We're going to go scout that show. Billy Rock is wrestling John Moxley in a dog collar match in the main event of that show. And I'll never fucking forget this. Vito and I are sitting there, and John Moxley comes out, and he's not out of the curtain 30 seconds. And Vito and I looked at each other and went, who the fuck is this guy? We were like, this guy is... I, I'm, immediately, I made the comparison. 
it was like the, he, the, the, the Hollywood blondes had a love child. He was Brian Pillman and Steve Austin in the same guy. I immediately saw it, and he saw the same thing, and we went, this dude is a fucking star, and no one knows who he is yet. Nobody knows who John Moxley, very few other than IPW in Indianapolis, nobody was using him. And so I had been talking with Sammy Callahan through AOL Instant Messenger for a long time, back to the Chicago wrestling days. He and I had developed a relationship together, you know, texting back and forth, and he knew Mox. And so when we started our own thing, we wanted to bring Sammy in. And he said, well, I can ride with, I can bring my, this guy Mox. He'll, he'll, he'll ride with me. Uh, and we, so that's when we saw him, we're like, yes, if you can get that guy, come on. Uh, and so we started booking him, and we immediately saw the, the star power in that guy. And I'll, and we did a lot of promos online, and that's what we learned from Chikara was using YouTube and using social media and having videos to build up your matches and, and stuff. And we were very controlling in, 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 our, in our promos. We had it all lined up before the show. You had to show up a couple hours before the show because we were going to shoot promos. And we saw Mox, and we saw how talented he was. And I remember telling him, me and Vito had a conversation. We said, you just shoot whatever you want to do. You just just go fucking buck wild and send us whatever the video is and we'll put it up. And if you and I don't know again, I don't know if those videos are still up, but they are some of the most incredible promos. There's a promo he cuts where he's walking down the street talking about how his mom was a prostitute. It, it, it's it, one of the most intense promos you've ever seen in your life. From what I understand, Gabe Sapolsky or somebody saw those promos. Tommy Dreamer or somebody saw those promos. Oh no, 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 no. Okay, I have tell this, me this story. story because those those so, videos were legendary for us. So, so here, here's, because uh, we'll talk about Mox a little bit. So here's how this goes. I'm in CZW. DJ rents a van in Chicago. I pick it up. I go to Indianapolis to pick up Drake and Scotty Vortex. Go to Ohio to pick up Irish Airborne. Go to, and, and sometimes the Ohio crew switched. But it was always Chicago, Drake, somebody, Philadelphia. Right. I get word Sammy wants uh, Mox to jump in the car because he wants to get Mox booked in CZW. And I was like, he's like, hey, Rob, do you mind picking up this guy on the way there? I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, fine, whatever. They tell me who it is, and I immediately go online to see who it is. I just want to watch. The very first promo I ever watched of John Moxley's, it's out there. Uh, it's for IPW. He's bleeding, got his jacket. He's doing an interview with a girl. You've probably seen this one. And he's he's talking like he's about to have this match with Drake Younger, even though it's after mm -hmm. the match. He's bleeding, whatever, whatever. And the girl's like, whatever. And he fucking puts her up against the wall, pulls out a fork. He's like going crazy. One of the lines is like, you smell like the inside of my mom's purse. <laughs> it's, the, it, 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 it's the promo where he was like, he's like, I love listening to this. I love to drive really fast and bang ugly women. And I, and I love when the sound of the sound of the blood hits the mat. And I watched this promo, and and I sat there for a second, and I said, "What the? What did I just watch?" <laughs> I was like, "This is incredible." And so I go from Chicago, Indianapolis, Ohio. We pick up Mox, and this these drives for me started around ten o'clock at night because we would drive at night. So about three, four in the morning, me and Mox are the only ones that are awake, and he's he's shocking, and I go, "Hey, man." I was like, I watched this fucking IPW promo. And he starts laughing. And I was like, I was like, no, dude, 
you're fucking even though we just met like you're wild and this is great shit and and we started talking and then we have a lot in common my roommate in developmental was his roommate in in puerto rico and and all this other stuff and then we start talking about you guys and he's like, yeah, I did some work with Vito, Tomaselli, Elite Pro, blah, blah, blah. And he starts talking about the promos that he did with you. He's like, yeah, one time I, I said, hey, come film this. It's going to be real quick. And it was like he did a promo where he didn't speak. He just had a, uh, a piece of paper, and it said, like, chicken wing, cross-face chicken wing, whatever. And he, and he told me about that whole shit. And then it was a chicken Yeah, it was a cross, and then it was a happy face, and then it was a chicken wing. Yeah. And he's playing a piano. Yeah, because yeah. he's trying to get over the chicken wing. And we start talking about this shit. And uh, we all start rolling, and then we get booked. The, the the CZW van gets booked for the Peterson Cup in Florida. And FIP is hosting that. And I want to say I gave Dave Prezak the interview that I saw at IPW because Dave's like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said here, this is John Moxley fucking watch. And that interview made it to Gabe. And, and then, um, I was with Mox as, um, Dave, who, who's the camera guy? Pena, paint, uh, Dave. Uh, oh yeah, I, I know who you're. T- I think I know Gabe's partner in a lot of that shit, right? And he worked with uh, worked with Prezak a lot. I'm gonna. Yeah. P- I don't uh, remember the name, but I know who you're talking about. Starts with the yeah. P. I'm 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 mad that I don't remember his name. Uh, I watched Dave grab Mox at FIP, and um, and he goes, "Hey, let's cut this promo," and. They go into this little area, and he cuts this great fucking promo. And I think that's where the floodgates yeah. opened, right? And he cuts those Tommy Dreamer promos and and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he was immensely talented. There was no it, doubt, oh, man. I we just gave him another oh, platform, dude. but there was no doubt. I'm telling you, as soon as he walked through that curtain for that match with Billy Rock in Indianapolis, I was like, that dude is going to be on TV. We said it that day. If you ever talk to Vito, he'll say the same thing. We both saw it. We said that dude's going to be on TV. He's going to be at WrestleMania one day. And sure as shit, he was wrestling Brock Lesnar at a goddamn WrestleMania. <laughs> that's a story. That mother, when me and Mox podcast, that's going to be a fucking story because he brought us out for that. Uh-huh. He he. We we were there for that. I'm not going to get into that story, but I'm going to tell you right now. Fuck. Yeah. That's a fucking story, dude. I bet he was. And, and, and Mox was one of the coolest dudes. I ever got a chance to work with and, and be around. Like he was, he was quirky, yeah, but he he was passionate. He was eager. He was willing to take uh, you know suggestions and inspiration, but also bring his own ideas to the table. Like he was a pleasure to work with, and we were lucky to have been able to work with him so early on in his career. And like what could have been because. We were just gearing up, and we were going to put the fucking rocket to him. Like, him versus Acid was a big deal for us, and it was a big deal in Chicago at that time because Acid was a big name. He was, at that point, basically a legend in Chicago. Uh, And so having him and Mox working together was a big deal, and and right after all that is when shit exploded for Elite Pro. But, you know, between him and Osiris and, and, and Mustafa Ali, you know, we gave platforms to a lot of guys that that ended up doing a lot of cool shit. Bro, Mox, and this isn't going to be a podcast about Mox, but I'll say this: uh, he's one of those guys that 
didn't forget his friends when he got famous and he never That's and he awesome. never changed right so like uh I, I made this comparison this would be the last thing i say about him is um when him and i wrestled at aew on dark at that time in wrestling i said to somebody said dude how fucking why i think it was janella he's like janella walked by the board and it said the end of the night mox john moxley versus robert anthony and janella goes this is a fucking 2009 CCW main event right now. And I go, <laughs> I go, do you, I go, it's like John Cena came to work one day and he said, Hey guys, uh, I'm going to wrestle my jobber fucking friend <laughs> on TV. Uh, and everyone was like, okay, cool. Uh, oh, cool yeah, dude. by the way, we're going to go like 15 minutes and they're like, all right, that's cool too. It, it made no fucking sense. Uh, again, I owe everything to him, so but, cool. uh, <laughs> I love saying that comparison, but back to you guys, you're running this company yeah. in Chicago at probably one of the worst times in indie wrestling, right? Indie wrestling's mm -hmm. fucking the shits at this time. It's not popular. Uh, it's hard to make money. It's hard to draw a crowd. Nobody's really per, like making money at this point. Uh, people are not making money until the young bucks show up, right? That, that no one's making a living on yeah. independent wrestling. If your name isn't Cole Cabana at this point. Um, I was going to say, other than Colt Cabana. Yep. Yeah, other than Colt Cabana. Because every, all the people that were making independent money, Danison, Punk, um, a lot of those guys, they're either signed. Joe, all of them. Yeah, they're either signed or ROH is super, super profitable for them at this point. Maybe not for the company. But you're running a company when indie wrestling is fucking tough and yeah. talent isn't 100% there and the talent that is there gets fucking put away. As someone that's now a booker, granted you're not financially responsible, right? And your company goes under. What can you say to like an AAW or even fuck, not even AAW, Jimmy Blaze? Jimmy mm -hmm. Blaze, who I am going to podcast with because he's the longest company continuous in Chicago. He's never folded, Respect. he's never had months off. Uh, you know what I mean? You guys have this. He's stayed in his lane too. He's, yep. he's, he's, he's stayed in his lane. He knew what his niche was. Yep. And is and never stopped. And sticks to that. Yeah. I, I there's another guy that probably doesn't think very highly of me, but I think highly yeah. of him. Um, you know, we may I may have said some shit about him back in the day when I was on a, on a message board. Or sure, everyone at has. At some point, because I didn't think that he was the greatest professional wrestler no. that the guy who ever graced the ring. But as a promoter. You, you it's it you really can't talk shit the guy the guy's figured hold it on out. let me think about this ready for this jimmy blaze has been running a company in the midwest for a little over 20 years non-stop longer than sam can anyone in america claim that title you know there may be some sort of weird you know fucking in, Mid in like southern in Alabama blah 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 or some shit that's run sure. longer and, maybe but but in the Midwest, no. In the Midwest, it's, it's but not here even, even think about think about the biggest indies, CZW. They, they're they're done, right? I mean, are, they're pretty much done. They're running little shows. Um, Chikara gone. Yeah. A, a, PWG a, a, every now and again. Danny and AEW are, are are close, right? AAW's running on eighteen years, I believe. But in the Midwest, Jimmy Blaze has them beat. Okay. Yeah, so, a good margin, actually. Yeah, and and, and they don't have the success as AEW, but like you said, he stayed in his lane. For you, though, 
running Elite Pro, mm-hmm. having great ideas, having talent, John Moxley, Ricochet, and uh, and Chucky and yep. Chuck Taylor, um, all these fun like whatever, still profitable things like that. Yeah. Why does this implode? Too many cooks in the kitchen, or people just this is their hobby, not their passion. It one hundred one hundred percent is a personal falling out between the two guys that were the owners and the money of the company. I am not hmm. gonna. I don't want to go into it any more than that. No, you don't have my to. business too. But it was just a personal, a personal falling out. Then they have re, they have reconnected since. But just you know, when you go into business with friends, sometimes friends and business doesn't mix, right? And you have to make tough decisions. And then you're, it's a friend decision. And someone, you know, maybe isn't holding up their end of the bargain, or you don't feel like they're holding up their end of the bargain. Whatever the case may be, that is one hundred percent why elite pro by elite pro folder. We we could and should have still been running today if those two had not had a falling out we could we had momentum we had the relationship with quack and chikara that we were we were regularly going to be able to exchange talent with them we were getting our name out there on a national level and getting respect on a national level getting guys booked on a national level getting guys like jason hades and mostafa ali booked for chikara and booked for big tournaments in chikara representing elite pro um, you know, we were on the verge. We were on the cusp. We had a relationship with JCW. I mean, Violent J was showing up at our shows just to just to hang out and watch. That's where he found Osiris and started booking Osiris is through seeing him on our shows, working with Corp. Um, you know, so we had a ton of momentum. And so, you know, Vito and I talked about it for years afterwards. It it it, it breaks both of our hearts because we had something built. We had a solid foundation. We had the eye for talent. We had the relationships with guys that were willing to work with us for a cheaper rate for the exposure that we were giving them on YouTube and putting matches out there for them to go get bookings elsewhere. Like We had all the pieces in place, and it was just 100% a money thing, and the money just wasn't there anymore, and so we had to stop running shows. When those two fell, fell out, uh, had a falling out, you guys just didn't want to put your own money in to take it over? Yeah, neither of us were in a position to, honestly. Neither of us were in a position to at that point in our lives. I mean, he he was bouncing around from job to job, still still dedicating himself to wrestling on a full-time basis and trying to make that work. I was just just starting in the car business, not selling. I was in I was in a customer service position making basically minimum wage and just just barely getting by. Still living with my mom and shit. Like I was just neither of us were any in any position to do that. Had there been someone else with money that said, "Hey, we see that you guys know what the fuck you're doing and have a passion for the booking part of this." If someone else would have p- picked up the ball, we were fully prepared and we could have made money for someone if given the opportunity. But him and I are assholes. Uh, and so, not a lot of people were willing to to help us out. Then, when you leave, when you leave Elite Pro, then you start podcasting, and then here you are now. So a little bit, yeah, a little bit sooner than that. We were still working with IWA Mid South, yeah. And this was still when uh, when it wasn't even called podcasting yet. It was still internet radio. Oh man! Right? And so we were we were taking trips to Philadelphia and doing all the all the all the loops, and. In Sal's car, we had Sirius Satellite Radio, and we listened to Howard Stern all the time. The replays, the Howard Stern channel was on almost 24-7 in our car rides. And um, along the way, we were like, we could do this. We could do our own version of this in like the wrestling world. And so we found this website called Blog Talk Radio. 
And you, the way you did it is you would call in on your cell phone. And so he and I would sit in separate rooms in his apartment. I would sit in the, fa- in, the, in the living room. He would go in his bedroom with the door closed. And we would get on our phones and we would record a show. And we, we, in our brains, we were recording our version of the Howard Stern show uh, um, with our friends. And we would interview guys that we had on, that we, we were at IWA shows with the, the night before. We'd had Ian on a bunch of times to talk about different stuff that had happened. And different guys, uh, we, one of the best interviews we ever did was with Tracy Smothers. It was uh, right after Chris Benoit died, and uh, Brock Lesnar had just was just about to debut in the UFC, and it was uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and we talked to Tracy for two hours, and he was just going on fucking rants about how uh, he the Benoit didn't kill himself. It was the government, and they knew about his steroid ring, and he w- he was set up, and he I'll say this he called exactly how Brock Lesnar's uh, MMA career was going to go. He said that dude is going to get into it and he's going to be good until he gets punched in the face the first time. And the first time he gets punched in the face he's not going to like that and he's going he's going to quit doing it. And that's almost exactly what happened to Brock Lesnar. He <laughs> once he got punched in the face he was like, "Ah, I don't want to do this anymore." But he 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 talked shit about Brock Lesnar, he talked shit about Benoit, and he was on fucking fire, man. But that was back in the blog talk area. So we started in the rotation because we would have the idea was is we were always burners. That's what we were known for. Uh, and so we smoked weed with everybody at IWA shows. If you smoked weed, you smoked weed with the Thomas Ellis and Ben Jordan. And uh, so we had a great relationships with a lot of legends with the, in that case. And so we were able to to uh, you know get them to come on our show and have them in the rotation. That was the whole idea is that you sit down in the rotation with us and just bullshit with us. Uh, and that spawned, I mean, we did it for, fuck, 13 years. Him and I broadcast together in some form or fashion. I moved to Texas, and it didn't stop us, and we still did it for like another eight, nine years. You guys were the biggest pioneers in that space for the longest time. You know what I mean? Everyone talks about Cabana. Cabana's was like um, national, right, because he had punk, and, and he was the next WWE guy. Yeah, and you guys were just having a conversation with friends and kind of doing what I'm doing, like – uh, I could talk to Tyrus. I could talk to Aaron Stevens and all that kind of stuff. But I like telling the stories of the people you might not know because those stories are way more interesting. You know, like like when you talked about blog talk, uh, uh, my memories of blog talk are our car going to Philadelphia, calling into the blog talk shows and crank calling them. It was, it was the funnest thing ever. And I would put on an accent like this. And I will call in to the supernatural blog talk shows, and I say, "Hey, listen, man. Every uh, I got this ghost down in my basement. Every time I go in this basement, I hear some things." And then, and they would give me these stories based on my accent, like, "Oh, I think someone killed themselves in your house." And then, and then I switch it. I'm like, "Oh, really, man? Because I just had this house built two years ago. How did someone get killed in my house when I just had it built?" And they were like, "Oh, no, maybe a different spirit's coming in through." I'm like, you lying fuck. Like, we would, there was Sasquatch fucking shows on Blog Talk. We would crank out, call all them all. Our, th- our thing was, our, our thing used to be, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd bait you in, right? We'd feel, you'd feel like we were in the conversation with you. We were all, and then we'd hit you with, how big is your penis? And it throws everybody off. You just you talk, and you just go, so I got one last question, real quick, real quick. How big is your penis? And 
it would throw people in a complete tailspin over and over again. It w- so that that was our that was our gimmick when we call in the blog talk shows. But yeah, absolutely, so fun. But yeah, me podcasting before it was podcasting. Like w- no one was doing it. No one was doing it. And and we were able to uh, provide a platform for guys, and we we had a lot of fun with it for a long, long, long time. As we're an hour in, I'm gonna we're gonna get we're gonna wrap this up because uh, we could definitely do a part two on just sure. fucking your your podcasting career. A, we didn't even scratch the surface. Yeah, I know. Sure. Uh, uh, as we get going, what are you doing now? What do you want to plug? What do you want people to know? Because yes. I know you got something coming up that you're trying Absolutely. to launch. I got a couple of projects. I haven't stopped podcasting. Yeah. Me and Vito, me and Vito don't podcast together anymore, but I haven't stopped. I actually do a show live on uh, Twitch on YouTube and on Facebook every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, a show called Topic Thunder with my co-host Mike Brooks. You may know him as CM Punk's brother, uh, but yeah, uh, one of my best friends in the whole world has been for decades. Uh, we didn't even get into my relationship with the LWF guys, um, but yeah, so Brooks and I do a show. We cover all different things, politics, entertainment, science. We have a good time. We interact with the crowd. It's very crowd interactive. Our The comments are up on the screen, and you follow along with everybody. And the, 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 the comment section is basically the third host of the show. So that's every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. If you're interested in politics and that kind of thing, please join us. We'd love to have you. Wrestling-related, I'm actually working on a project with another buddy of mine by the name of Michael V. We're working on a thing called A Fight to the Death. And so what this is, is we are going to do a very in-depth, very detailed look at the war between WWF and WCW. Not the WWE, not the WWEI's version of the Monday Night Wars. We're starting in November 1988 when Crockett is sold to Turner. And every we're doing it like a, like a book, an audio book. It's podcast only. It's going to be an audio book form. Every chapter is a month from a year in that in that time period. So it's going to be a long one, right? Because we're going from November 88 to March 2001 when Vince buys WCW. Michael V is an encyclopedia of knowledge. He has he has every observer, every torch. He has videos of shows you've never even imagined are on tape. He has them. And he's done extensive research into digging out quotes from shoot interviews, from, uh, from books, from observers, from torches. And we are digging in in great detail and telling the story of the war between WCW and WWF in a way that's never been told for we want to do it because like no one's told this story in a in an unsanitized because the winner gets to write history right so WWE gets to write their own version of how that war went down but the real stories like we just did November we we just started November 1988 is bananas when when JCP gets sold to Turner Dusty Rhodes and and Ric Flair don't show up for work numerous times because they're mad at booking and they're mad at each other. Like, that shit doesn't happen anymore. And I don't think people realize that story. And so that's what we're trying to do is bring out the the details of of what happened along the way. And so uh, the first episode is going to be dropping here real soon. Um, It's called A Fight to the Death. I'll definitely in part two. Hopefully we'll do part two once it's out. But um, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a really cool thing. The people We had a couple people listen to the first episode just to kind of give us some feedback. 
people seem to they, they seem to love it there's like a lot of like oh man i didn't know that and that's what we're looking for so it's a, a cool project wrestling related that uh, i'm really excited about so we'll, we'll do a part two once you launch this and then and then we'll get more into like uh lwf so because uh my interview with billy whack is the second highest uh listened on my whole entire podcast so we'll definitely talk about lwf but uh ben jordan it was good having you buddy for sure